But I'm glad, glad we're all here. Would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 2? 1 John chapter 2. And this is a text, I have to tell you, this is really strong text. But we have to be faithful to the text because it's, God knows what's best for us to hear, what's best for us to listen to, to edify, to maybe even question where we're at. And in 1 John chapter 2, if you're following along, we do have notes. I hope uh, everyone who wants notes can have them. But in 1 John chapter 2, we read here, he says in verse 3, by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray. We ask that you would give us ears to hear, to understand. Help me to preach your word. I pray, Father, for those hearts that you would soften them to hear your word. We pray. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we're going in 1 John, we know that the reason why 1 John was written, he says in chapter 5 and verse 13, if you want to turn there, just a quick page turn. In verse 13, he says, these things I have written to you. What are these things? It's the whole book, right? These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, the Apostle John is writing to Christians. Why? So that they could know, not guess, not hesitate, not wish, not have a good feeling about, but to actually know. The Bible tells us that if we have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in truth, if we have come to place our faith in Him in truth, that you could know for 100% that you are actually saved. That when you die, you're going to heaven. That you know God right now. That you could walk and serve him right now. Now the question becomes, well, how do I know that I actually trusted in him? Right? If in fact, and we see in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse 2, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And now, John is saying, what is the basis of your salvation? The very basis of my salvation is that I place my faith in the propitiation that is in Christ. That is, his blood sacrifice on the cross paid for my sins. And I trust in that. That is the basis of salvation. But now he flips and he turns in verse 3. Now he's going to talk about the proof that you actually did trust in the propitiation that is in Christ. That you actually did trust in the blood. And one of the proofs, not the only proof, right? But one of the proofs that you actually placed faith in Christ is that your life is now changed. 
You know, this is actually a contested idea. We call it the assurance of salvation. Sometimes it's controversial in certain circles. Um, many religions, I've been all over the world, Hindus, Muslims, Roman Catholics even, you would ask them, what happens when you die? Where are you with God? And they would say, well, you know, I hope I did enough. I hope if, you know, at the scales of life, that uh, when I'm dead, that maybe all the good things that I have done in my life will outweigh all the bad. And if all the good things that I have done outweigh the bad, then God will give me a pass. And I say, are you sure about that? And they say, well, not really sure. I just, you know, you, and you hear it a lot too, especially when we're talking about um, when, when, when ideas start to crash, they'll start to say, well, you know what? No one really ever knows. And you know what, brothers and sisters, if you know Christ, assurance of salvation is the rock in which we stand. That I know I'm right with God. That I know that I'm not going to face my sins when I die. And so that idea that you don't know where you're going is actually false. It's actually it causes you to be in poverty. Some Christians, they don't, even, they don't even understand this. I've told you before, as I was at a coffee shop with one of the Marines who I love and sharing the gospel with him, he says, I believe all that, but I didn't know that I can be sure. I didn't know I could be sure. And that's your birthright, brother and sister. That was given to you. So some folks believe it's unattainable. On the other side, some folks falsely claim it. They think they have it. And yet, the scripture tells us, it says, by this we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. And so they think, well, you know, I know I'm there. I know I'm saved. I know that I'm going to be in heaven. Why? And these folks may have raised their hands, said a prayer, jumped into baptism, but their lives have never been towards Christ. They never want to seek after him. They don't want to be with his people. They don't want to come to worship. They don't want to read his word. They don't want to bow the knee to Christ. They don't want to follow what he says. They don't want his dictates to dictate their lives. And what occurs with that is now they are falsely claiming what is only given to Christians. So on the one hand, some folks think it's unattainable. On the other hand, some folks think they have it and they don't. How are we to sort this out? Well, the text is very clear. Um, I, know, I know a guy like that who he falsely claims salvation. He thinks that he's saved because he listens to sermons when he works out. I'll play sermons and I'm working out and now I'm saved. Really? He's drunk all the time. He doesn't go to church. Doesn't want to be around Christians. Doesn't have love for, the way 1 John says it, doesn't have love for the brethren. Right? Doesn't allow Jesus to be his Lord. And he says he's saved. The Bible says he's not. In fact, the Bible says he's a liar. Now, please don't confuse this. What I'm saying here is we are saved by grace through faith. Amen? It says it very clearly in, in chapter 2, verse 2. By his propitiation, by his blood that was shed on the cross. But now, this is so that you would know. 
And he says, how do I know? He says it in verse 3. By this we know. Oh, very simple, right? It is the birthright. So the preaching point for this morning is God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would be assured of your salvation. If you know Christ, you would be assured. If you don't know Christ this morning, I pray that this sermon would strike you so that you would consider the claims of Christ and bow the knee to him. The text points to three very important questions you have to ask yourself. There are three very important questions you have to ask yourself. In order to have assurance of salvation, you have to ask these three important questions in the affirmative. You have to, in your heart of hearts, in your mind, in the innermost being of yourself, with every fiber, you have to say yes to this. If this is not true, there is something uh, you need to, you need to uh, bow the knee to Christ and ask him to help you to understand this. And the first question I have this morning, and I think the text warrants it, the first question is from verse 3. Are you right with Jesus as you're sitting here? I don't want to ask you these questions because I want to beat you over the head with it. I don't want to ask you these questions because I want to say, I got it, you don't, na-na-na-na-boo-boo, right? We ask these questions so that you would turn to Christ, so that you would see his loveliness, so that you would run to grace and have your life changed as well. Are you right with Jesus? Not is your brother, is your sister, not is your mom or your dad. Are you, are you right with Jesus? This is talking about real relationship. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. He uses this term, we know. The word there means knowing, coming to understand through a sense of perception, to learn of, to become aware of, to find out, to perceive. This learning or this knowing is a knowing of experience. If uh, any of you ever taken a romance language, it would be the difference, perhaps this would help you, it would be the difference in Spanish between conocer and saber, right? Saber would be to simply know different facts, okay? This is, this is conocer. This is to know with experience. In English, we only have one word, know. But this is to know with experience. I am sure. I know the facts of it, but I've also experienced it. And notice the form of this word is in the present active indic indicative. And all that means simply is that I presently know that I have a true relationship with Christ. And I presently know that every day that I walk, I am with Jesus. And Jesus is with me. Here, there's no guessing. There's no wishing. Again, it's not based on what I do. It's based on what Christ has done. And then he goes and changes my life. A lot of folks think this way, and you have to help them with this. You ask them to come to church, they say, I want, I'll go to church when I change my life. And you know, Christ actually does it the opposite order. Did you know that? He doesn't say, I'm going to change your outside first and then change your inside. He changes your inside first, and then it permeates on the outside. And this is all that we're talking about, this changed life. 
false, the false teachers of that time in 1 John, uh, the heresy that they were attacking was a proto-Gnosticism or a beginning Gnosticism, the first seeds of it. And part of that belief was that only certain people had a higher esoteric knowledge. That only spiritually elite folks, folks who have gone through the levels of this mystery religions, only those can have a higher relationship, can actually know, can actually self-actualize. And John says, no, this is how we know. It's amazing. The Apostle John, who has, in chapter 1, has seen the living Christ, has beheld him, has touched him, the resurrected Jesus, that John is saying, as much as I know that I am right with Christ, you can know this too. This is amazing. That the apostles' relationship with Christ and my relationship with Christ is the same. We could know him together. Now, the Christ who I handled and touched and beheld with my own eyes, that's what John was saying, and my own and held with my own hands, I know him just like you do. What's amazing is that very basic qualification of knowing God is having faith in Christ alone for salvation. We know this in John 17, 3. He says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know thee, same word, right? Gnosko, and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. But now, he's saying that we know that we have come to know him. And now he uses the same word and he uses it in a different form. And what we call that form, have come to know, is the perfect, uh, is in the perfect. And all that means is that it occurred in the past and now it has ongoing results. Okay? So what he's saying is this. I have a present reality. I have a present consciousness that I am right with the Lord Jesus Christ because of what has happened to me in the past and because of the ongoing results that's happening in my life right now. In other words, what John is saying is, when you believe Christ, there is a, a distinct and radical change. The life that you used to live is now different. The things that you used to love, you now hate. The things that you used to hate, you now love. You hate, now, but when you used to run to sin, now you hate sin. When you used to love, uh, when you used to uh, run to your sin, now you just want to run to Christ. When you used to hate righteousness, now you love righteousness. You want to seek after him. You know that it's in you. God has done that work inside of you. They are the ongoing results. It's because of what the Holy Spirit has done in your life. Notice in Romans chapter 8. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. John is talking about the outward expression of this. What is happening inside? Here's what's happening inside. In Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8. What is occurring here? He says in verse 14, Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, he says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, those are Christians, right? These are sons of God. He defines it. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, Paul is talking about what's happening inside. John is talking about what's happening outside. John is, uh, Paul is saying here in Romans, he's saying, 
the reason why your lives are different is because God's Holy Spirit is now leading you. Notice he says here in chapter 14, for all are being led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Those folks who take their cue by the Holy Spirit. How do you know they're taking the cue by the Holy Spirit? Because they follow what the Word says. The Holy Spirit has authored the scriptures. And what is occurring now is because they're following the Holy Spirit, you're having a life that now hates sin and follows after the commandments of God. He says back in 1 John that there's verifiable evidence. Verifiable evidence. So if you are a Christian and you have come to Christ, and you have surrendered your life to him, now there are verif- there is verifiable evidence. What is it? He says very clearly, by this we have come, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The word there for keep, keep his commandments, means to, to watch over, to guard, to hold, to reserve, to preserve, to pay attention to, to observe. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, it says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it is a guarding of what Christ has said. The word there for commandments is, is his precepts. So what is he saying? He's saying this, that when Jesus saves, he changes every single time. Now, sometimes you may be saying, well, I know some people who never changed. And they claim to be Christians. And yet the Bible would say they were never Christians. They never came to Christ. Right? This is why. Let me show you. In Ezekiel chapter 36. We're jumping around. I just want to show you. This is all over scripture. Okay? All over scripture. Ezekiel, Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 36. This is why. We saw a glimpse of it in Romans chapter 8. Notice in Ezekiel chapter 36. This is the new covenant that, that uh, God has said he will do to his people. In Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 he says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Look at verse 26. This is beautiful. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. We call this the new covenant. And what God is saying is, when I regenerate my people, when they truly come to have faith in Christ, I not only count them as righteous, that is in justification, But I will make them in their hearts anew with different desires and different hungers. 
Now the Christian wants to see the glory of Christ. He wants to see Christ exalted. He wants to obey, although imperfectly, because now his heart has been captured. And here, here's, here's what it says. He says, I'll sprinkle clean water and you will be clean. That is the cleansing from regeneration. Notice in verse 26, he says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll remove the heart of stone. Why did he say heart of stone? Because the heart of stone here means I have no feeling towards God. I have no softness towards God. I don't want, I don't want him to have any authority in my life. I don't want him to rule over the things of my life, over my schedule, over my family, over my job. And yet God says, I'm going to take that heart of stone, the heart that doesn't want God, the heart that will not bow, the heart that wants to do what it wants to do. I'm going to take it out and I will supernaturally give you a heart that beats for me. And then he says here, and here is, here is, the, here is the driving force of it, okay? Why will your life be different? He says in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and then cause you to walk in my statutes. And you notice the order. It's not you walk in my statutes and then the spirit comes. No, my spirit comes first. When my spirit indwells in you, when you yield to my spirit, because I promised I would give you him, right? You will walk in my statutes. And Christian, you know this to be a fact. When you wander from the Savior, when you wander from his good laws, when you wander from his kind shepherding, and he warns you not to do this, and he warns you not to sin, and yet you still continue, you fall on your face and you say, God, why did I sin? Let me repent. I will turn with you. I have to be right with you again. That's what God does. This is what a Christian is, brothers and sisters. And we're so confused about this. This is why there's so many churches, and I have to say this because this is where we are. This is the air we breathe as American evangelicalism. This is this cheap gospel that just goes out that thinks that all that Christ is is simply an intellectual ascent and that the life does not change. Now, I'm not saying the changed life is a basis of salvation. I, I always have to say that. The changed life is not the basis of salvation, but it is the fruit of it. Does that make sense? And so what occurs is now there's this gospel that says you don't have to change. There's this gospel that says you don't have to, your life will not be different. There's this gospel that says you can raise your hand as an eight-year-old and live like the devil for the rest of your life. And you know, I'm, and they say, oh, I'm saved and I'm saved. They don't know the damage that they are doing. It's harder to share the gospel with these folks. Why? They think they're okay. And yet the Bible says they're not. They have no taste of heaven. What makes you think they want to go to heaven? Where they worship Christ forever. And ever. Why? They never had his Holy Spirit in them to cause them to walk. Oh, brothers and sisters, 
as we share the gospel with our kids, with our family members, with our friends, as we do these things, understand that the fruit, one of the sign marks, is now someone has to obey Christ. I love when I see this. I love it. Because it's not my coaxing or my manipulating. It's simply preaching the word of Christ and the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of them. And when he does, you can't stop them. I told you that story. I got to tell the story again because there was a buddy who I was sharing the gospel with in college. And he, I told you the story, I, he got saved. And I was there and I was discipling him in college. And I didn't tell him. I didn't say you needed to do this. I didn't even know he did it. But all through the years when we were in college, he was stealing rap CDs from the local. You remember CDs? Does anyone remember CDs? He was stealing rap CDs and hip-hop CDs. And he had piles and piles of it because he always wore loose pants. It was easy for him to steal. When he got saved, I didn't tell him to do this. He brought the CDs back to the record store and said, I stole these from you. I want to pay for them or you can put me in jail because I deserve it. But I can't do this anymore. And see, you know what? What happened to that guy? He got saved. He can't live in sin anymore. Christian, you don't like to stay in the mud, do you? Pigs, they love to stay in the mud. You're not a pig. I hope you're not a pig. You're not a pig, right? You don't like to stay in the mud, do you? When you get filthy, you go, oh, I hate it. What is that? That's God's spirit in you. Praise God for it. Amen? He's He's the only reason why, he, why you're still here serving him, honoring him, loving him. He's the only reason why you still believe in him, chasing after him, serving him. Amen? Because he put his spirit in you. Now, keeping the commandments of Christ are really a reflection of a right relationship. Remember, our point is, are you right with Jesus? Are you right with him? Turn with me to John 14. John 14. And Jesus points this out very clearly. It is not just a matter of following some kind of sterile law that is, that is separate from me. He is saying, when you walk in my ways, it shows that you love me. Notice he says in John chapter 14, and verse 15, he says, if, very clearly, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do you know you really love Christ? You follow him. Now, this is not imperfection. We already talked about that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. This is not perfection, but this is certainly direction. Your life is now different, such that you love Christ and you want to follow him. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper and that he be with you forever. 
That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, and because he abides with you, and you will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you after a while. Look at verse, I'm going to look at verse 21. He who has my commandments, here it is, okay. This is, how, this is how dear it is to Christ. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And now, here's the thing, okay. When you say, okay, and we get a lot of, we got a lot of these because we're in Southern Cal. Folks who say, oh, you know, my church is the ocean, and I worship God by surfing, right? And so that's where I am every Sunday, right? And they say, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. Really, do you go to church? Because going to church demonstrates your love for Christ, okay? Do you read the word? Do you obey what he says? Or are you happy about what is it? Prop 64 about the legalization of marijuana. So now you could do it all free, right? Is that what you want to do? And now, Jesus says this in, in chapter, chapter 14 of John. He says, if he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He's saying, if you really do love me, you will follow my Guys, never get away from the personal nature of this. And when we talk to our children, when we talk to our kids, our young adults, never get away. It's not just that you've hurt mommy and daddy. It's not just that you've broke, broken a law, some kind of holy law. It's that you've dishonored Christ when you sin. When you continue in sin, it's a dishonor to him. When you obey him, you're showing your love for Christ. Now, secondly, are you right with Jesus? But secondly, are you honest with Jesus? Are you honest with Jesus? And he talks about in chapter 4 and verse 5, uh, 1 John, uh, excuse me, verse 4, the one who says, I've come to know him and does keep, not keep, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. First, there is such a thing as a false profession. There is such a thing as a false profession. And part of the reason why John writes this is so that you as a Christian, if you are in Christ, that you would not be deceived. Right? 1 Corinthians 6 says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicator nor homosexual nor will enter the kingdom of God. There are folks who will deceive you. They will deceive you about the nature of Christianity. They will say that you could become a Christian and indefinitely live a life of habitual, unrepentant sin. That is false. John says that is false. So let's talk about this false profession. He says, the one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. The person who says they are a Christian, that they have experienced the new birth, and now have a changed life, 
yet remains in unrepentant, habitual sin is a liar. He lies to himself. He lies to his family. He lies to his friends. He lies to his youth group. He lies to his discipler. He lies to his pastor. He lies to his home group. He lies to the local church. He lies to every co-worker and acquaintance. And most disturbingly, he lies to the very Christ he claims to belong to. You're a liar. It's like a deluded man who claims to be married. Yet he has never asked the woman to be married. Never went through the ceremony. Tells everyone they are married. He doesn't care for her, doesn't regard her, doesn't provide for her, doesn't protect her, doesn't live with her, doesn't consider her. Yet he claims to be married. He was never married. See, what has occurred, what has occurred, and we go back to this, is that when the gospel is not clear, that when someone comes to Christ, their life is definitely changed, okay? When we are not clear with what a Christian truly is, everybody just claims to be a Christian. And they jump in. And then you have these large groups, okay? These large groups of folks who think they're Christian, but live like the devil. And then church leaders are in the back saying, how are we going to change these folks? How are we going to make these folks? How are we going to make them more godly? And they never want to turn to Christ. They don't want to bow the knee to Christ. They live like the devil. And they're thinking in their head, well, you know what? I don't know. They say they were Christians and they're not obeying Christ. That must mean something else. And what do they create? They create another doctrine that's not even biblical. They must be carnal Christians. They make a third category. A third category that doesn't even ex exist. Why? Because their idea and their conception of what a Christian is has never been clearly outlined. And because now they see people who claim to know Christ and never turn and never walk after Christ and never follow after Christ. And now they have to say, well, then now they're a third category. They're carnal Christians. Brothers and sisters, there's only two categories in the Bible. Christians and non-Christians. Believers and unbelievers. The saints and the ain'ts. Right? And we, when we are not clear, we open the door for people to be deluded. To be confused. Now, I don't ask this question because I find it enjoyable. I don't. But I have to ask this question because I look. And because Christ has called me to preach every single word of the text. Are you a liar this morning? Do you claim to love Christ, yet care nothing for his desires? Nothing for his commandments or his mission. If that describes you, you're a liar. 
do not live the truth because you have not truly embraced the truth. Titus 1.16 says they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. See, many folks are offended by this kind of speech. They've been sold on a Christ that does not change lives, only offers fire insurance. One of the most dangerous things you can do is give someone false assurance when there is no reason to have any. This is grace, brothers and sisters, friends who are here. This is grace that God would reveal this so that you could say, oh, if you don't have Christ this morning, you would look into your heart, look at what the text is saying and say, God, is this me? Is this me? Did I think I was saved and not saved? I remember I was, I was there. I came to Community Bible Church. Jay Palompo tried to share the gospel with me. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. I know that. I know that. How arrogant. I told him I knew it. I, yeah, I believe that Jesus. Yeah, I did that when I was eight. I know that. But I lived like the devil. And my heart was not surrendered to Christ. I'd party all Friday night, go to church on Sunday. Party Friday night, go to church on Sunday. Live these two lives just like that. Until Steve was preaching in Matthew 7. What did Jesus say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, you gotta, you gotta look at this text. This is scary. This is probably the scariest text in all of scripture. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. As Mike was reading, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Verse 21, okay? Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Look at this. Many will say to me, oh, it says many, many are deceived. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform merry miracles? Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't I raise my hand? Didn't I go to altar? Wasn't I baptized? Didn't I do this? And Jesus is going to say this. Yes, he is. He's going to say, verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And you who are deceived will bow the knee. And you're going to say, what did I do? What did I do? I, I didn't turn to him. I went to church to figure out and to get what I wanted out of it. I went to church to, to, to follow all these things, to have a club and a social. But I didn't want Christ. Oh, young people. Your parents are pleading with you. To turn to Christ. And he will say this. He will say this to you. Would you turn? 
Are you playing church? Oh, he will receive you if you turn to him. He will receive you. Thanks, brother. Still doing the same. Helping me with my blubbering, right? The Bible calls for a healthy self-examination. Okay. Second Peter 1.10, you could jot this down. You don't have to turn there. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. We are called to look the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, kindness, patience, right? We are to be fruit inspectors of our own selves. If there is no fruit, there's probably most definitely no salvation. Don't fool yourself. Now, true conversion, verse 5, is a supernatural obedience. He uses the same word, keeps his word. This is in the present tense, whoever keeps his word, whoever is keeping his word. This is the pattern of life. This is the trajectory of one's life. There's this supernatural train, change in true conversion. In him, the love of God has been truly perfected. It should be translated the love for God. The love for God has been truly perfected. This love is a self-sacrificial love on behalf of the object. The reason why I would say it's the love for God because it's in the grammatical range and also because it's in context. That not that you have a perfect love for God, but the word there for perfect is that it has its point. In other words, that when God saves someone, he puts in you a supernatural love for God. Such that you no longer despise him. You love him. You no longer want to cast off his authority from you. You want to take it on. You no longer want to shut your ears. You want to listen to him. That's supernatural love for God. You must live for him. You cannot live otherwise. I love it when the word of God hits its mark. And folks say, you know, I got to get right. I've been doing wrong. And they do it. It is, a, it is a supernatural mark of the Spirit. Lastly, lastly, first, are you right with Jesus? Second, are you being honest? Because if you're not, you're a liar. If you're not being honest and you're playing church, you're a liar. Third, and if you've come to Christ, you now have a love for Jesus. You have a love for God. But lastly, are you dependent on Jesus? Verse 6. The word there depend, uh, for dependence that I 
the reason why I say dependence. It says here, uh, by this we know that we are in him, the one who says he abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. There's two phrases that are related in him. Uh, it is the sphere in which you live. It is a trusting. It is a remaining. It is a, uh, we would call, theologians would call, a vital link with Christ. How do I know it's that vital link? Because then he says here, abides in him. The word there for abide means to remain, to trust, to depend on. The one who says he abides in him, um, he says this uh, in John chapter 15. We know this text. I'll just read it, okay? John chapter 15, verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The one who abides, in other words, here is where the power and the strength comes. Okay? If you are resting, if you are depending, and if you are trusting in Christ, you will walk like him. And it says here, here's your new pursuit. Those who abide in Christ, if you claim that, okay, if you claim that, you ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now, this is a high calling. Now, think about this. What God is saying is your life has been so radically changed that you, your desires have been so radically altered. You were going this way towards the world and you were walking away from Christ. And when Christ intervened, you turned towards Christ and you turned away from the world. That's what repentance is. And now the Bible is saying, if that is in fact is true, I want you to walk like my son. That's amazing. Well, how did Jesus walk? John chapter 5, verse 30. Same author. This is how Jesus walked. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear. I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. How does Jesus walk? He walks to do the will of the Father. John 6, 38. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He has denied himself and caused himself, and he, he focuses his attention on the mission and the precepts and the laws and the desires of his father. John chapter 8, verse 28. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The way you ought to walk is how Christ walked. And how did Christ walk? He always did what was pleasing to the Father. How are you going to do that? You're going to do that in your own power? No, you better remember that word, abide. You ever try and do this Christian life without Christ, without dependence? You fall on your face. Now, this was given so that you would be assured of your salvation because you have, you have a changed life in Him. And if 
Here's the questions I'm going to ask. Again, are you right with Jesus? Are you honest with Jesus? And are you dependent on Jesus? Brothers and sisters, if, if you know Christ and you're walking with him, continue on. Keep trusting, keep abiding. Keep following him. Walk as he walked. If you come this morning and you don't know him or you're unsure, I'd love to talk to you. You could talk to any of the leaders here. You could talk to um, uh, Pastor Jason Jarvis, even though he's on vacation. I'll put him to work, right? Because there is nothing more joyful than to be able to lead you to this Savior who will change your heart, who will remove your heart of stone that is rebellious against him. And give you a heart of flesh. He wants to change you. Allow that. Come to him. Turn to him. Father in heaven we pray. Thank you that we can trust in the savior. Thank you that our salvation is based on his blood. But it's never alone. There's always a change in our life. We pray, Father, that those who are walking with you, that they would be encouraged. And those who don't know you would go home and not quit until they know. And to get on their face and pray and ask God to change their hearts. Lord, the one who is tired of their sin, may they repent. Sick of their sin, may they repent. Give them a heart of Flesh, remove that heart of stone. In Jesus' name, amen.